Welcome to Journey to the Centre of Food, a voyage of discovery for curious foodies everywhere. My name's Jay Taylor, I'll be at the controls today, whilst James Winter is once again alongside me as our trusted navigator. Hello! And on today's show, we are taking a trip to the kitchen on the edge of the world to explore the remarkable project of Chef Valentine Warner, who will be sharing with us his adventure to create a unique food experience in the Arctic Circle. Plus, we're going to be putting together our dream dinner party by spending some time delving into the dinner habits of notorious dictators, and James will be testing us all with one of his devilish food quizzes. So without further ado, all aboard for a journey to the centre of food. Hello, James. How are you, sir? Hey, Jay. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Cold. The weather has turned fully to winter. This is going to be snowing. It looks Brilliant. Like it's going to be snowing. This is because we spoke to Nicholas last week and he was just depressing us with the, the Scandinavian winter. Now we're going to get a bit of that over here, aren't we? Absolutely. But we know, as we know, he's here soaking up the sunshine. Army <laughs> <Of balmy> England. <laughs> hey, now we have we have a a very very interesting guest host on this week. Uh, I will let. You, why don't you tell me a little bit of the background? Because we were just chatting off mic about your your views on some of the people we're getting on and why why you're so excited about this. But so tell tell our listeners some of the things you were just saying about uh, our guest today. Well, look, I mean, this podcast has always got lofty ambitions. I mean, obviously, we talk about food in all different shapes and sizes and all sorts of things and subjects. But what it's I suppose what it's trying to get to the heart of, it's a journey to the centre of food. And, and to get there, you've got to you know, get past some of the more obvious voices in the, in the food spectrum and get past you know, that sort of straight-jacketed, perhaps UK media look of we've got to be about recipes, 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 recipes. If we don't know what we're going to cook and how we're going to cook it, we don't know how to, what cooking's about, we don't cook and all this stuff. And actually, what you do come across sometimes in this, this bumpy journey are voices that represent something more than that. But, but food is a journey of discovery, not just about ingredients and techniques and, and flavours, but about yourself and and. You know, there are, there, are, there are some people that I've met during my time that, that really, you know, change the way you think about food and what food can be, as well as being entertaining and brilliant company. But they also make you stop in your tracks and start to see a life with food, through food, about food that is just exhilarating and different. And each day can be full of adventures and, and all sorts of crazy eating experiences, but also just, you know, connecting with yourself and the environment and the food that you're cooking in, in ways that you never thought was possible. And, and our guest today is, is, is all of those things. I mean, he's just such a wonderful human being that has, has taught me so much about myself and what I should be thinking about food without realising it. I'm sure he'd never have, have attempted to change, you know, the way I think about things, but just through conversations about food and cooking and philosophy and all sorts of stuff you know it's 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 an eye-opening journey and and i hope will will elucidate if that's the right word some one or two nuggets of, of gold from him today more you know if we don't we have a good old banter about strange things we've eaten and and strange places we've been <laughs> and then great too because he's also very very good at that because he's pretty much traveled the world and eaten some of the weirdest stuff you've ever heard of and caught it and cooked it and eaten it and all that stuff so you know he's a, he's a brilliant guy Wonderful. So, yes, stay tuned because Valentine Warner will be coming up very soon. But as you said, we have we have lofty ambitions on the podcast. And this uh, just briefly, a new feature, which I thought might be fun, which has very lofty ambitions, is uh, I thought we could put together our dream dinner party. But bear with me on this. This is not a dinner party where we're particularly picking guests because we want to spend time with them or want to talk to them. We're picking them uh, because of their food tastes characteristics things they like things that people we'd like to eat with and i thought through a process of elimination we could start selecting some 
people for that. Right. Does that sound like a plan? Yeah. I mean, are we, how are we going to do this? We're going to pick a category. Yes. Well, exactly. There's a fantastic book called What the Great Eight, which I do love reading. And uh, within this, I found the category. I thought for our dinner party, we should start with dictators. Okay. Right. So Obviously. we'll go straight in. Not footballers most- <laughs> or supermodels or rock stars. Let's go straight in with dictators. Full immoral. Yeah. Full, let's go. Let's go for some of the world's most ghastly people and see if any of these want to be invited to our dinner party um so yeah let's start let's start i need to go on joseph stalin now bear with me yeah murdered millions but he craved bananas uh, but insisted upon quality and according to one biographer <laughs> he was very cantankerous when served a substandard banana, in how did he style, how did he gauge imagine. them? I mean, was he looking for ripeness? Was he looking for brownness? Was he did he like a banana loaf, or was he a green banana guy? We know, but you know that can be a with parsley can be a very interesting uh, flavour experience. Oh yeah, Val Val's pulling a face at that. But green, <laughs> green bananas and parsley are a, are a, are a famous uh, Heston Blumenthal. What's the least ostentatious banana? What's the most? What's the well, banana of the proletariat? Banana. Yeah, the one that the one that is the most communist of bananas. What would that be? That would that would be a straight, straight banana, green. <laughs> right, but he was also banana. he was also obsessed with um, he was also obsessed with poisoning prevention. Yeah. obviously there were a few people who didn't like him. And uh, at meal times, he'd always have loads of plates of identical food presented to him, and he chose which one he wanted Ooh, from them. Clever man. Gonna, that's going to be a pain at the dinner party, right? Well, not if you're Stalin. I mean, just ask for it. No, our dinner party. Oh, well, not well, that it is. He's coming to ours. Well, do well. Yes. Okay, so he's not. Okay, so he's a possible. Oh, is he? Oh, is your, it? oh okay. Your, 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 no, yeah, no, yeah, you yeah. seem like you're he quite keen on the bananas. Well, I mean, he, I mean, you know, yes. Let's say yes. I mean, let's. <laughs> he's dead. It's, he's not coming, Jay. He's not. <laughs> okay. Okay. So here's another one. Yeah. This we, we don't actually. This is a hypothetical dinner party. But who's coming to the table? Uh, Ceausescu. So we're going. You know, oh just, just as awful now. I know these are awful. But um, obviously ruled Romania unpleasantly yeah. from sixty-seven to eighty-nine. Um, but he was even more obsessed with poisoning. He never ate anything unless the food taster had first sampled it to make sure he wasn't poisoned. Okay, fine. So far, so you know, normal dictator. But a portable chemical lab accompanied him on all his foreign trips to verify the ingredients were not poisonous or radioactive. There was an aide that supervised the preparation. Then all the foods were placed in a special cart that was locked, wheeled to the dining room under the eyes of a specific bodyguard. And then um, every day the uh, combination lock on the cart was changed and then it was taken out of the cart by a specific waiter and presented to him. Now he is going to be a Pain in the, you know what, at our dinner party, but you know, yeah, I thought I'd... okay, yeah, he sounds more problematic than Stalin, to be honest. <laughs> yes, he does, doesn't he? Stalin's just got a bit of a banana we thing just going on. Bananas, least... <laughs> seven of them in a row. He's going to pick yeah. one, whatever it was. Yes, um, uh, a couple more briefly. We will get to Valentine. Montezuma, in case you fancy a bit of Aztec emperor action at our dinner party. <laughs> of all the dictators, you would have put, plucked that away. Montezuma wasn't Montezuma. what I would have thought. Is uh, he coming in full headdress? Because in my head, he's like got this great sun god headdress on. I'd expect so. Okay. Ho- well, we're dressing up for this party, yeah. right? He, he, um, he had dinner in front of loads of people, but nobody was allowed to make any noise. And he would have like a, a, a wooden barrier put between him and everyone else. So you'd have to stand completely quiet in a room. Well, and I imagine the punishments for making any kind of noise. 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that doesn't that doesn't feel too dissimilar from a from a COVID dining room, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> That's, you know, with your with your shields between tables. I mean, you know, there's a yeah. so it's a bit like Wagamama's. Montes, <laughs> him and Wagamama's are quite similar to each other. <laughs> okay, so Montezuma right. is not. Is not off the well, list. He's certainly more interesting, and the food might be. I mean, there's no food requirements. There's no dietaries coming with him, is there? Just you can't make any noise. Okay, fine, final dictator, and then we'll get onto something much better. Uh, 1970s, North Korea, Kim Jong Il established a health institute named after his dad, Kim Il Sung. I always get confused which ones mm. are which. Researchers were instructed to find ways to help his the elder Kim live a long and pleasant life. One of the Institute's major recommendations was that he was advised to eat dog penises that were at least seven centimetres long. Oh, gosh. Now, at least he's coming with a recommended dinner. Yeah. Or a dish. He could bring a dish to the party. I'm looking at my poor dog who's asleep on the floor. (laughs) I'm thinking, (laughs) he'd be fine, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Bert. So, I don't know where we're supposed to be going with this this piece, but those are the... the, uh, potentials for our dinner party so far mm. i'm hoping you know I'm, i have higher hopes for winston churchill when we finally get to him well yeah and if, I mean, and I, and I, if I anybody would like to have him along and if any of the listeners have a, a strong opinion about which dictator should come and please just jump in and, <laughs> and, and let us know yes <laughs> at journey to the center of food on instagram journey to the center of food at gmail.com or if any of you yeah. are actively working for ceausescu still quietly yeah and perhaps keep yourselves oh, any active dictators <laughs> listening to the podcast yes. Get in touch. You could be our first. We'd love uh, to host you. Yes. <laughs> um, I have no idea how this now segues into our guest. I really, genuinely have no clue. But um, let's get to him anyway, because he will hopefully bring some some sanity, or maybe not to this. Uh, but he is. He's not he's, shaking. His he's head. still awake, at least, Jay. He's still <laughs> awake. I mean, well done for sitting through that. <laughs> Valentine Warner is a chef, food writer, and broadcaster known for his deep love. Of nature and travel and dictators. That last one's not mm. true. Um, he is widely recognised for his understanding of ingredients, both wild and cultivated, and his ability to make something delicious with apparently little. Uh, he's written five books, three of which he's illustrated himself, and he's now part of a fascinating project called The Kitchen on the Edge of the World, described as a gourmet hideaway, a nugget of decadence against the howl of the wind, and a feast where all the senses are engaged. So clearly described by people significantly more creative than you and I, James, uh, mm. what it is. It is a kitchen and a restaurant set above the Arctic Circle, surrounded by sea and mountains, and it looks quite unlike anything else in the world. So to explore this and many other things, we welcome to the show Valentine Warner. Hello, sir. Welcome. Hi. How are you? I can't help that whole thing about Kim Jong-il. It just brings a whole new meaning to Coco Van, really, doesn't it? <laughs> 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 yes, you've, you saw, you've had to sit there and endure us. I was really enjoying that. I was hoping for a few more actually tucked in there. <laughs> Where are you? I've got plenty. I've got. Okay. <laughs> and you'll have to, uh, yes, you'll have to let us know your 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 vote for our dinner party. Obviously, you'll be there as well. Um, and you, you and James have known each other for a number of years, I believe, through the hazy world of television. Yeah, well, James yes, is, we have. Uh, James is one of those people. Whenever he, he's one of those people, who whenever he walks into a room, I smile. If he kind of comes, you know, late to some kind of gathering and he comes through the entrance, then I kind of make a, you know, I gravitate towards him. He's a good man, that one. 
<laughs> we always gravitate usually outside to the, to, to, to the quiet table. By the bar, basically. Um, <laughs> Valentine, listen, this project that I teased in the thing, this kitchen on the edge of the world, I know you've got lots of projects, but this is truly remarkable. Can you paint a picture for our listeners what it is, how you're involved, all the aspects of it? Because um, obviously this is a, an audio podcast, but the pictures are truly remarkable. Well, I think I'm to kind of... I think the, the kind of backstory has to be told very, very briefly. But um, a woman rather wonderfully named Ingen Rasmussen, um, who, by the way, is one of uh, 13 children from the same parents. She always says, there's nothing else to do up here in the winter. Anyway, <laughs> Ingen co- contacted me and she was working in Korea at the time. And she said, I've been watching your programs and reading your books. And... This is a complete hunch, but I'd like you to come to Holman and um, have a look and tell me what you think. And I had such a nice time with her and she's kind of very, very funny. And there was this lightness to her and this sparkle. But I kind of initially said I couldn't go. Um, this is Norway, so, right? Holman is, the, is Norway. It's north. Um, so it's in the Lofoten Islands to give it some geography, which is in the northwest, um, upper northwest Norway. And then I, I kind of said I couldn't come, and uh, I thought, what am I doing? I've, I love the kind of the, the Viking sagas as a child. I love the idea of trolls and Viking axes splintering, you know, monastery doors. And I love moss and wood and, and deep forests. And of course, I've got to go here. Um, and I've been wanting to go here for a long time. I've been asking for this, and look how, you know, the 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 astral alignment has answered my thing. So <laughs> I promptly rang about and said, look, I'd love to come. So um, suddenly I find myself on a very small airstrip in the Lofoten Islands um, with uh, my bag on the runway, wheeling it towards this person I've never met. And by the time we'd got back driving through these amazing fjords and the mountains and stuff, it was we'd kind of fallen in love with each other by the time I, I got back there. So I spent a lovely three days with her husband and her um, talking. We drank lots of Aquavit. We went fishing, which is always a very quick way to my heart. And um, we decided that what we wanted to do is bring the great chefs up there, but not not to navigate by Michelin stars, but really to bring up chefs that we deeply felt would kind of understand this incredible um, natural larder around them. Obviously, part of the problem is that um, the weather up there is... Um, the king of absolutely everything. It can turn on a heel and you can be sitting in bright sunlight and you've got this and a snowstorm coming in. So we realized that we had to offer something else. So then the, the next idea was that, okay, well, we're going to bring craft up here. So, you know, next year, for instance, we've got Alex Pohl, who's uh, becoming a very well-known blacksmith in this country, who's coming up to teach axes in, in March with Thomas Parry from Brat coming up. We've got Jim Parkin, wow. who's the who's the head animator from um, you know Ardman Animation, so he's going to be doing stop frame plasticine workshops with everybody. So as the days unfold, you've got the nature, you've got you know you can go and forage in the hills, you can walk in these kind of beautiful and treacherous mountains, you can you know swim and fish and do all these wonderful things. But then, of course, every evening you sit down to the wonderful food of Nicholas Eckstedt or James Lowe or Richard Corrigan or. Margot Henderson's coming next year. Angela's just been. Um, And then in the day, you can kind of relax or go and do these crafts. But the point is that we live in, I I think, this digital mayhem that we shouldn't have to deal with every day. I think we want to take in all this information, but but we can't. And it causes a lot of anxiety and it causes a lot of stress. And so this is a kind of this huge kind of 
mind-blowing Arctic setting um, under the kind of constant light show of, you know, the midnight sun or the aurora where people can kind of come and switch off and go analog, basically. And I think my one worry was that, you know, to an extent it's always going to, it's kind of expensive to get up there and do this. But we'd realized that people were really saving up. It wasn't just for people who could go, well, that's, you know, that's, you know, all, you know, that's easy for us. You know, lots of people have been coming who are saying, you know, we've, we've saved up, which I, I find really, really wonderful. Now, what are you thinking? All this talk of the great outdoors is making you thirsty. How do you fancy a glass of wine? Well, I'm very lucky because I've been sent some really nice bottles of wine that I've been enjoying and the kind of bottle of bottles of wine that I would never have normally found for myself. And the reason I've been sent them and the reason you can be sent them too is because we have a new sponsor on board with the show. How would you like to try some incredible top quality wines for free? Yes, the best type of wine is the free wine. We'd like to introduce you to our new favourite wine club. It's called Wine 52 and it's a monthly wine discovery club. They're so sure you're going to love their wines. You can grab your first case completely free. All you need to do is go to wwwwine 52 wine 52 the numbers 52.com forward slash journey and cover the postage cost of just over a fiver and you'll get three bottles delivered right to your door and wine 52 is a wine club with a difference instead of stocking thousands of wines from hundreds of producers they only select the very best of the best their expert wine tasters search out the most exciting wine regions and top undiscovered winemakers in the world and bring them to your door. And they really are great. I've been sent a couple of bottles and they're fabulous. It's a lovely surprise when they pop through the door and you get to try some brand new things. And the way it works is each month they send their members three wines, uh, which you can customise to your taste by choosing from cases of white, red or a mixture. And you get this really cool little magazine called Glug, which tells you loads about the wines you're drinking and the ones you hopefully are going to be receiving in the upcoming weeks and months. So um, yes, it's well worth trying, especially as they're willing to send you free bottles of wine when you join up so remember that is www.wine52.com forward slash journey to claim your case today right let's get back to the show i'm just looking at the pictures of on the web uh, on the website your your i've come through your website and, and we should we'll give, definitely give the details you know for people who want to find it but it's just extraordinary looking and you're right this is the land of 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 nordic giants and trolls and ragnarok and and all this stuff around you but just it's it's just a remarkable journey i, I it's so far north well it's I north. Think, it's so really north, north. <laughs> it, it's it's really visceral this is a place you know um you know, you, you can't, you know, it's challenging. It's beautiful, but it's challenging. And I think, mm. you know, increasingly in the UK, we live this incredibly kind of homogenized life where everything is, be- so for me, becoming quite samey. And, you know, even all the different car manufacturers are building cars that all look the same now. And it's all kind of blobbing into when you go to the pub, which has been painted dead dolphin gray and everything is yeah. the same. And so it's very, you know, rare to be able to get to these places which are very visceral, very intense. Um, and it's quite an emotional place. You know, the family sit with everybody every night. We Everyone is forced to sit on the same table. You don't kind of come in your groups and, you know, go off in twos and stuff. So, uh, And then you kind of go out into this landscape, which you've got to really treat with some respect because, you know, is, you know you, it's no wonder all the gods up there are so violent, terrifying and tricky because, you know, <laughs> there's a million ways to die. And, um, <laughs> and it's great. It's great. And people leave going, oh, my God, you know, I don't want to go back. Um, you know, what am I going back to? In fact, the last time I went back from, you know, one of the most organized countries in the world, I kind of, 
look at you know the news on my phone, which I really shouldn't do. But um, and there's people kicking each other's wing mirrors off while they're waiting for petrol. And it's like, is there, am I flying back to this kind of granite dinghy of of, of nitwits um, from this incredibly organised, amazingly beautiful and and visceral place? So I long to be there as much as possible. How challenging is the food journey in a place like that when it's so hard to get? Do you do you get everything from the local area? I mean, what? How restricted is the environment when it comes to the food? It's such a brilliant question because in in some ways it's it, it is we, what we're trying to do is is take as as much as we possibly can from our suppliers to the point that they're growing for us. You know, whether it's vegetables or you know kid goats or whatever the case may be. Um, obviously, some things like Roddy Sloan, who I know James knows, who's an amazing kind of um, diver who supplies a lot of used to supply a lot of fish, um, shellfish into London. You know, other things are more problematic because they do have to get to us by boat, and you know we have had times when we're waiting for deliveries, and you know it doesn't turn up, and the guests arrive, and then the delivery comes later. So we've really got to think on our feet oh, and move gosh. quickly. But then you know the joy of it all is you know as you get to know somewhere like that. I think you know we live in a country where you can have everything whenever you want it. So that old way of living where we were all required 300 years ago to know where the clustering filberts grew or, you know, where the, when the herrings ran or, you know, or when, you know, the ditander was growing, you know, we're not that country anymore and never will, will we be again. We're not remote. Um, we're over, you know, overpopulated. So you lose, you lose that reliance on understanding the natural, you know, rhythms of the wild world around you. In, in Holman, it's it's they're still kind of holding on to that you know when the sorrel comes you know when all the mushrooms will be bubbling up you know that if it's not too cold you can climb up into the mountains you know to get the ptarmigan and the snow hares and that, um and that the farming practices are still quite similar and the cheeses they make are still very you know kind of simple and so there's a wonderful kind of world of food there which if you kind of you know if i'm standing on the waterfront and there are the you know the tiny little wind blasted miniature Lofoten lambs, you know, nibbling the seaweed for nutrition, and then they turn around as I disturb them and they barge through the juniper and trot back up the hill. I know that if I steam them in seaweed and then um, roast them in the wood fired oven over juniper wood, um, so you, the kind of menus dictated um, to you, you know, as you wander around the place, you know, lingon breeze everywhere, and then you you know someone will drop off some time again and suddenly you can do something wonderful with it, it's it, it's kind of logical but you kind of stand still and soak it up and, and then people bring stuff to the door the hunters sometimes or someone says we pick this for you and we kind of take the bags in through the back so it's a wonderful place to cook i imagine uh, people bring you food wherever you are val you're such a food <laughs> focused but not just you're hungry but you're always interested in folk if they, I, I just imagine people often would would turn up at your door wherever you live in notting hill or shepherd's bush or wherever cool part of london you, you hang out and and go val i've got this thing i bet the only person i can think of that could do something with it is is val warner so i'm going to take it there so sometimes that. sometimes <laughs> but then you know james i do have a flip side you know i don't think a really well-made aged cheddar belongs on a burger so whatever I'm expounding to you right now, you know, I will be using a horrible little rubbery orange, techno orange slice of cheese on my burger because I don't want, you know, tickle bottom extra mature cheddar because it doesn't belong there. Nor do I want sourdough bread. I want a really crappy bun. So, um, you know, well said. Um, you know, in and out. I'm hard to catch. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's wonderful. And I, I wonder, see on, see, on an average day when you, you wake up, Val, when, when and how do you first start thinking about food, if, if you can capture that for us? I mean, just where does it appear on your, your, your sort of consciousness? Immediately, because I'm, I'm a very moody person. Um, and so no one who is moody, um, your, your, the food has to suit your mood. I could not go and eat cereal every morning. I, you know, it, it's not appropriate. Um, so, you know, I kind of, sometimes I, I really want a, a good croissant, but then sometimes I'll be kind of frying egg, eggs and then putting sage anchovies, chili and garlic fried in oil on top of them. Or I might have a, a woodcock the night before, which by the way, I don't shoot anymore, but um, I have got some frozen ones in my freezer. Um, but, you know, if I really, the weekend's coming and I want one of those old breakfasts, I'll sit down to Woodcock on toast with a glass of brandy at, um, you know, 10.30. So I never eat the same. And, you know, you know, fermented fish because of Norway, I want to eat hard-boiled eggs and, you know, kind of fermented herrings. And so breakfasts are quite exciting um, and naturally lead me into, you know, I can't sit still. I find it very, very hard to sit at the computer. So I need to kind of go out. And as a result, I kind of shop like a European I'm not very organized in my food shopping. Um, so we tend, you know, Sasha organizes the kind of, I guess, the supermarket shop we do. Um, but then I'm always kind of nipping off to the veg shop or the butcher or the fish shop um, for the kind of main parts. So we're, you know, very. I shop mm. like a European. Sasha tries to get me to shop more like a, you know, kind of, you know, one of that big week shop, but I can't. One of your skills is you, you kind of find, I know it's sometimes, you know, an endeavor on purpose, but, you know, you, you find food everywhere. I mean, you know, you, that's, that's one of your things that you've shown me that, that everything within reason can be explored as a, a food item. And there might be a way that some other journey or, or culture or some has, has found a way to find nutrition in here and flavor and deliciousness. And, you know, I was watching your. Your vi- some of your videos over lockdown on Instagram, I think they're on Instagram, where you, you made these wonderful looking elderflower fritters, right? And mm. is that right? Have I got it right? Because I, yeah, I, I, I can't bear elderflower, right, as a flavour. But I watched your videos over and over again to a point where I so almost went out and got some elderflowers, knowing that I don't <laughs> like them. Like, they smell horrible <laughs> to me, but I wanted to eat them. And I thought, I'm, I'm very glad. But, I'm very but, glad. But it's very yeah. chandeliers. <laughs> Well, that's what you call them, and I thought, what? A, it's just, it's just like magic to me, you know. You do, you, you make food appear out of out of the countryside, out of nature. Which I think that's something that happened in COVID for a lot of people. If it wasn't about food, it was about people are going. You know, I'm lying in my garden. Um, if people were lucky enough to have a garden, and I've realised that there isn't just one bumblebee. There's there's lots of different kinds of bees, and some yeah. of them are crawling into the ground, and they've got red tails, and some of them are much bigger. That they've got a white spot on the back, and God, actually, I don't know what any of the trees are in my garden. And it was kind of really amazing what it did for nature. Um, you know, we've got, got a hell of a way to go. But but also with food, I suddenly kind of found myself, you know, on my sister's farm in Dorset and everyone being very kind of strict. Um, and so I kind of had, I fell in love again with, you know, it's, you, we talk about being, you know, everyone's saying, I'm the seasonal cook and I forage and blah, 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 blah. And, actually i realized i hadn't really noticed the seasons for years and you know live being there from march to whenever it was i could see everything changing i was picking the young beech leaves and making noyer and you know and what's, then the what's, noyer? what's noyer what's noyer it, it's a gin brandy and a young beech leaf you pick the young beech leaves um when they're like green pale pea green tissue paper 
and you steep them in gin and then mix them with brown sugar and brandy after a few days and it makes this wonderful How drink. I've got some that? over there actually. I know. I, know. Because, I love about that. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Because, you know, at the age of 49, you go, who do I want to work with in life? I, I collect people. I'm collecting my doomsday apocalypse club, I guess. Um, that you know, when the jet streak low and the pot noodle factories are smoking ruin, and I can live in the woods <laughs> with all these wonderful people I've met, and one of them happens to be Nick Str- Nick Strangeway, who is probably the greatest living barman, who happens to be my business partner at Heppel. Um, so he told me about Noya, um, and then the Alexanders would start growing, you know, on the side of the road, and so it was a wonderful time of you know, my sister who can never sell her pigs' heads, I would you know use the pigs' heads, and there were all these things growing. And it really was a seasonal year. We ate, you know, to the point where everyone was going, oh God, not nettle souffle again and stuff. But it, it was wonderful <laughs> because um, it, it was such a joy to cook during that time. It's a bit like, this is, this is like when you've, in the, in the Matrix, when you take the blue pill and suddenly you see the world with different eyes and you suddenly reveal that out there is, is, is a world of real people that understand and, and see food for you know for what it can be this is what i was trying to capture at the beginning i mean i think val's expressing it beautifully but there is a, a dialogue amongst food and about food which is different from just oh let's here's a recipe for another pasta carbonara well, have a bit. i agree yeah. with you but but kind of yes and no i think in in a funny kind of way you know when i mentioned remote places earlier where you have you know whenever i've been you know uh, with, you know, let's say the Sami or just in the south of France in a really remote village or in Italy or the Chistal Valley in the Pyrenees, where you have remote communities, you have very, very strong food culture. Um, and then when it all gets very clustered and overpopulated, you lose that food culture. And in a funny kind of way, I've, you know, going back to, to Dorset, in, in a funny kind of way, I think for all the food information we have in this country, you know, for all the books, the television, the everything. I could also argue, and I don't mean to be depressing, that we we actually know less about food than we ever have in this country. And I think that's partly because of the huge amount of choice. And also the change of, you know, um, what's important. You know, food, sitting down with your family around a table um, was very important. But then now it's far more important to, as I say, stroke the glass hamster for five hours a day looking at your phone um, rather than, you know, gathering around food. I wholeheartedly agree with that. And I think, you know, we, we talk a lot about the importance of the education system in this and, and somewhere along the line, that, that connection between food and, and schooling and education just fell off the radar. I mean, it was too expensive, perhaps. I don't know the real reason, but there was a disconnect. People always bang on about the war as being the pivotal point in Britain's food journey, but I don't know. It's just kind of slipped off the radar to, you know, to, you know, to a point where I agree with Val. There is such a lack of real interest and knowledge around food at the moment there seems to be anyway generally amongst you know younger generations but they're now being distracted totally by the quick accessibility of quick easy food right so well i mean it just look at the adverts i'm telling i mean sitting on the tube today it's just eat you know deliveroo and you know what's the hurry i mean how long does it take to make a you know crab omelet or a you know a sorrel omelet or a soup or roast a piece of fish and it, it's really scary and it's only really when i go back and i'm in a french market or in italy or wherever that you can really breathe and be full of ideas and you go god here's a chicken that's actually got its head and feet still left on it you know god forbid <clears throat> no one would buy that that's what a chicken looks they, like they yeah. freak out you know i handed a woman mm. you know before um 
you know, man or woman, doesn't matter, you know. But if, before, you know, I handed a, a student a, an artichoke, um, you know, just before COVID, and I might as well have handed her a kind of baby pangolin, you know. It's kind of <laughs> you know, absolutely, completely, yeah. kind of almost petrified look on her face. And it's like it's very easy; you just boil it, and you know, then. Well, that's the, the magic off. trick, actually. It's the magic trick my father always had when he just pick a hazelnut off the tree. And it sounds tiny and dark, but just that that thing you were talking about where it's you can eat that, you know, and you can eat that even down to the sort of the blackberry that you, you your kids get used to eating those and picking them off. There is that that magic trick connection where suddenly the the, the, the link between the food, the place and the person mm. is 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 really special. And it's like you said, sitting in the garden, we all became more aware of that. Have you always had that? Have you always been fascinated with that? Or has there been a, a sort of learning process in your life where you've you've become more enamored or more aware of it? No, I, 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 I've always interested literally from birth. I mean, I, I ate everything. Um, you know, I bit table legs, I bit people, I ate glue. I was, you know, <laughs> nib- you know, I always need, there was some, I was sitting in Spain the other day and some foamy resin started coming out of a log as it got hot. And I licked it because I wanted oh, to know what it tasted like. So I've just, you know, that's how I kind of understand the world, either in pictures or by putting and, it in my mouth. And, and, I, and I, what did, what did it taste here. like? Yeah, what did it, it taste it, like? It, it wasn't very nice. It was kind of bitter, um, bitter and slightly kind of irony and oaky tasting. But it, it, it wasn't oak, which is why I said oaky. But, um, mm. but it, it was very bizarre. I posted it just to see what how it went down, and everyone said it's such a weirdo. Um, <laughs> but I kind of I loved cooking, and then my father was he did something that's so important to me, and why I like kind of teaching kids is that he animated um, the outside world. So he believed in the chattering spirits of the hedgerows, and all the animals talked to each other. And he was forever picking shaggy ink caps and racing them home to put them on toast, or making rose hip cough syrup. So outside was this very kind of um we played outside because it was 70s dorset um you know and you could go and smash things and break things as you know boys break everything in order there i think so they know how the world can be put back together so to speak so it was this amazing kind of life outside my mum was a brilliant cook um and i got very very interested in food very quickly so you know and she had this enormous so i was always kind of reading her cookbooks i'm sounding a bit sounding making it a bit, a bit too idyllic but you know and then there was kind of, you know, the kitchen garden where we could steal raspberries and stuff. So, and I'm very kind of hand, to, you know, I'm a fidget. I, mm. I think chefs are people who, you know, we need to put, maybe it's because I wasn't breastfed, I don't know, but I always need to put something in my mouth. <laughs> so I think I was always going that way, really. Um, and then, you know, dad, you know, as you'll see up here in my books, which you can't, but you know, there's a lot of cookbooks in here, but there's a lot of field guides and, you know, kind of identifying things and animals are as, as in, and that that's really what for me divides cooks and chefs. All the people I would describe as cooks in my life, you know, Mitch Tonks, Joyce Molyneux, Fergus Henderson, Alistair Little, all those cooks I really, really love. They all understand, they all know more about nature than the than the chefy chefs who all say they forage and then you stick them in a the field and they haven't got a clue. Um, so I've always gravitated towards the cooks because the cooks are only one stage away from all those European grandmothers who really do know about nature because, again, it goes back to that old time where they can walk out their front door and either pick the wonderful ripe tomatoes growing in Italy or they will go a little bit further and start picking things out of a hedge. So <clears throat> cooking... It's and not even a thing for them, is it? It's not, it's it's not a, a it's, big effort. It's just what they 
sustenance. So, so our, um, we had Harold McGee on uh, a few months ago. Uh-huh. God, I'm so annoyed I missed that. I mean, I do find it one of the most torturous books in the world, The Science and Law of the Kitchen. <laughs> but um, I wish I'd heard him. I'd love to have heard that. Well, he inspired, he inspired us. And, and the great thing is about we're so lucky to have guests like yourself, some of the other people we have on, who just inspire us to try and do things. And he inspired us to go out and sniff stuff and see things through our nose in a new way. What can you say to our listeners to challenge them? Get the sort of basic challenge to how, what would you say? Right, I challenge you to go and do this tomorrow that can, can help open a door into this world. It, it's it's very hard to, it's really hard to do it without being there. Um, but it's a brilliant point you make. You, you know, teaching at Jamie Oliver, I did four lovely years at the foundation and you walk into this room, they all had their cap, their hoods pulled up. They all had their feet on the chair. They were all on their phones. I go, hi, I'm Valentine. And they go, who is this posh twat? <laughs> and then I pour a box of live crayfish, which I bought out of, driven up from the River Kennet um, with me. And suddenly there'd be these snapping crayfish all over the place and they'd tip out a whole load of rabbits, which I'd shot. And you start telling them stories and about nature. And suddenly, you know, by the end of it, they're all eating boiled crayfish and rabbit stew. And I think it's with people, it's really words. I think there's nothing, you know, facts are facts. Recipes are a list of facts. But but good recipe writing isn't. And I think, you know, the minute I'm ever in front of people and I can kind of, you always have to start at that point of how do you know you haven't, don't like it if you haven't tried it. Um, but you can tempt people in. And it's amazing what I've got people to eat um, when they said that they wouldn't. Um, but I think sniffing, you know, I mean, just go and sniff a rose for a start every, you know, I always, you know, I'm, I'm constantly being stopped in, you know, people looking at me in London because I've got constantly got my face in other people's flower displays as I kind of walk through the streets of London. So I love the differences between roses. I find it absolutely amazing. But, you know, stop and stand still, you know, ask them if they can smell autumn. You know, you, I know immediately it's deep within me. I knew the first day that autumn was here. It probably came in two days before. It's very, very subtle, but I can smell it. There was a moment um, I had one the other day where it was it was and I ha- it hit me and I had to stop and go what is that because it was mm. like the, the wet leaf smell but it was something so arresting. Mm. I mean my 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 kids are brilliant to that because they they're too young to 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 not have the vocabulary so they just go oh that smells like unhappiness over there or this is fun that that that, that smells like you know c- confusion I'm like oh what what do you mean by that, What's that? <laughs> that? Like that's said, great the smell of autumn that's yeah autumn right oh yeah it's that it's that and so I'd love true. to know if autumn smells the same for everybody as well. Imagine everyone has a different little, uh, a different little spark. Mm. I mean, the one that really drives me nuts in London is that Sasha can't smell it, but I'm super fox sensitive. So I always know when there's a fox has been through the garden or things. So it's oh, like, I get that yeah, one. Like one a, that's in our garden, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very sensitive to that bad boy, and I'd love to catch him one day leaving his special <laughs> scent on our garden. <laughs> it's amazing. It's just, you know, fishing, you know, when you've got fish slime on your hands, you know, they all smell slightly different. Um, so I, I don't, yeah, I don't, it's, I, yeah, I was always going that way, I think. Always sniffing everything as you always, went. Always, I yeah. sniff, it, sniff everything. I think it's, yeah, it's it's remarkable, isn't it? It, it Just the, the power of that to get you back to places as well. The access to memory that we've yes. talked about many times with Heston before and the, and the capacity, because f- funnily enough, a lot of these smells and a lot of these things probably are connect, we've, we've encountered them as we've grown up and not realised it. You have, because you've, like you said, put everything in your mouth and be conscious of it, but we've all passed through these places and probably not considered it even in like the concrete jungle of London, 
There's mm. lots of incredible smells out there, and lots like one of the ones I've become completely immune to, which I know is not a food smell. But I was coming up from the West Country as a kid, the the smell of the tube was so powerful. And now I go on every day, so I can't smell it anymore. You can't, yeah. Certain, yeah. It's, it's funny, isn't it, how you just become immune to these? Well, I, I smell my dad's jumpers that he gave me before he died. I mean, he, he loves jumpers. He just loved jumpers, and he had these amazing jumpers. And now, and he smoked a lot of cigars, and he his, he sweated in a very particular way because I remember, always remember being on his shoulders, you know, on a hot summer's day, carrying me up through the hills in Dorset. So it's the smell of his sweat and cigars. And even though they've been dry cleaned a million times, the smell I don't think is there anymore, but it's still... But now it's a phantom smell that even when I pick them up and they're back from that, you know, sometimes it's, I smell those old smells that aren't even in the jumper anymore. So smell is an extraordinary, you know, extraordinary mm. thing. For me, it's freshly laid tarmac. I don't know why, but I could I can pick it up three streets away and I have to detour sometimes if I'm walking through streets <laughs> just to go near it. Just it's so, I don't know, I'm just very sensitive to it. But like you, I also, I picked up that little autumn or... I don't know, there was a sweet sourness to the leaves. Normally, the fresh leaves are... But I don't know, it was something which I recognise now because it's been pointed out to me. And I'm very sensitive to oak because I've realised I love the smell of oak, oak as well, which has been a journey for me over the last few years, working with, with Mr B, Blumenthal, because oak is a very powerful smell in, in, in this gastronomic sort of flavour pot. You know, so I'm, I'm incredibly addicted to it. And I notice it everywhere now when I never did... I realise I, you know, I'm surrounded by oak trees. Clearly, oak trees. I, I yeah. just smell it everywhere, and it's wonderful, and I love it. So you know, you're right. Once you, once you have, I call it. It is like an awakening. People talk about it with spiritual feeling, but once you become sensitive to these things, it really does colour the world for you in such a wonderful way. If you, if you wanted to, you know. And I think that's that's what I was trying to catch at the beginning with Val. He's got this way of of just nudging you to notice things that perhaps. You know, you would sometimes be too busy or distracted to, to pick up on, certainly with food and and, food. and the way to connect those with food. It's like Nicholas said last week to us when we were talking about, you know, Nicholas Exted talking about cooking with fire. Well, Nicholas is actually coming up to Norway in next that's June. Right. Yes, that's yeah, right. So. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Oh, fabulous. Because he was talking about taking wood and putting it in ice cream to take, so the wood takes on, you know, it helps create the ice cream. And it's like, what it sounds like you can do is you can take that thing where we go, that smells amazing. And then go, oh, by the way, there's a way to turn that into a drink or a food. Or it's it funny. It's really funny you say that because we, 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 one of the, you know, the other businesses I'm a partner in is is Heppel, which is our distillery um, up in the wilds of Northumberland. And we're using, you know, pot distilling, you know, is, is quite a blunt instrument, copper pot distillation. So in order to make the drinks that we really, really wanted to make to kind of get flavors that we couldn't find in, in um, we really wanted to, you know, replicate. We started looking towards the perfume industry because it looked like a very logical, um, you know, place to look. Hmm. Um, and started to find all sorts of amazing things, you know, when, when if you've got very delicate plants like um, lovage, if you cook them at the temperature of um, the alcohol boils at, there you kind of annihilate them. But if you put a vacuum on a still, you lower the boiling point considerably. Um, and then you start to get all the subtleties out. And then we started looking at something called um, a supercritical CO2 extraction, which is squashing um, CO2 until it becomes a liquid and a gas at the same time. That's amazing at extracting flavors that you simply can't get out of something by boiling it. And then Nick started to, who I was talking about earlier, said, you know, we need to look at... at, at um, ultrasonic disruption 
And that's really amazing wow. because we, we made a martini, which you can get in bottles. Now we've done a bottled martini straight from fridge to glass. I really should be drinking one now with you guys. But, um, <laughs> and uh, by passing ultrasonic waves, you kind of push this. It, juniper wood's really interesting because it has a this super, super, super kind of taste like oud, or almost like it, that incense called oud. So by kind of blasting it out of the wood with ultrasonic waves, that would suddenly go into the martini. Um, it was the ultra, it was the um, the rotor vac or the, you know, the glass vacuum still that we actually, by using that in a variety of different ways, and that gave us some results. But then we used a CO2 machine, and then we started tasting kind of, you know, grapefruit and pineapple and pine needles from a Douglas fir. So all these kind of plants around us, you know, which you smell and you recognize in one way, you start putting them through this technology and you get a whole kaleidoscope of, of flavor that's, you know, we didn't, we, we kind of hope, we kind of had a hunch we're in there, but couldn't kind of get to the core of it. And it's been really exciting. That's wonderful as well, because the fact that you're prepared, you're perfectly willing to use really cool sounding technology, which is very James Bond sounding technology, uh, alongside very, you know, simplistic ingredients we wouldn't even consider normally. That marriage between the two, the high tech and the low tech is really cool and, and, and a great place to play because I often find that the two don't always go hand in hand. Sometimes people feel allergic if they're really into one to use the other. God, you, you, God, you, this is a very good interview, James, this guy, because he's, you know, bringing up, <laughs> I mean, this is all the things that, you know, if we're saying we're working with nature, but then you bring technology in it, it's like this kind of, you know, kind of ashamed couple caught in the act who should have nothing to do That's with it. each other. Um, but actually, you know, it's how you use them. You know, we, we, greatly look after the estate that we're on you know we've got a big propagation project but then you know why not you know use machinery it gets the most out of the thing if you're picking them get the most out of them um and also the whole company is you know is about complete opposites you know you've got a machine you've got a room with a whole load of machines that go ping but is in a rain-lashed northumbrian barn um you know all the business partners i refer to all of us as tattoos and tweeds because nick's covered in tattoos but then you know the rest of us are wearing tweed and then you know it's a kind of and then you've got nature and science so it's a kind of you know but it's quite hard to package nature and science to people because as you say yeah. people go oh i'm not sure about that but you know that's been that's been the hardest journey in a way how you get people around to you know Valentine, we, we are running out of time. And I know James needs to uh, immediately knock us down to ground level with a, with a quiz. But just before... <laughs> Such low-level um, content that, now. Low, <laughs> um, <laughs> Heppel is the drink, which they can... Which they can people can find Heppel in all known shops or on the website. What, um, where can we uh, find that? Master, find the, I mean, your Masters of Malt Whiskey Exchange. Then, of course, we're with Waitrose Cellars and Ricardo. So we can be Heppel can be found. And if you really like a martini, which I describe as uh, throwing a silver, elegant silver brick through the front window of your day, because it really does a <laughs> quite a job on you, um, then Heppel is your Heppel's your gin. And also, we make a slow and hawthorn. Um, which is delicious, and of course our um, Douglas fir vodka, which is bonkers when you pour tonic into it. And, so, and where do people find out about the uh, the kitchen at the edge of the, the world? Kitchen on the edge of the world is on www.kitchen. Yeah, it's yeah, it, it's Holman Lofoten, Holman um, H O L M E N Lofoten, as in the Lofoten Islands, or just put in kitchen on the edge of the world, and we should get you there. Don't put kitchen at the end of the world, kitchen at the edge of the world, and Heppel. 
um, you know, there's a website. So, and also, you, 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 you have your own website, don't you, where all this stuff is collated for uh, people? Uh, uh, yes, I say that. But apparently, we're meant to put new content in every day, and I don't think I've put anything in it for about a year. It's not the way my uh, my head yeah. works, I'm afraid. But there is Life's a website. Too short, isn't it? I mean, you might, but it does, you might... have, it does have links to, to the kitchen at the edge of the world, though, because I'm, I'm it, sure I got there today by following that link. It does. And it's also got a rather useful seasonal calendar if you don't know what ingredients oh. are in. Um, every month by month. Oh, I didn't see that bit. Oh, great. We, we should have one of those on our website one day, Jay, I think. Once we get a website, we yeah. definitely will. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, share, we'll share some of um, the images of, of the kitchen as well on our Instagram as well. Um, but yeah, what? It, well, that's been an absolute joy. James, <laughs> over to you, <laughs> Quizmaster. So cut. This is going to be cut, clearly cut out of the podcast. This definitely rubbish. not going to make. <laughs> no. Be, oh, sorry, Joe. Don't have time for that quiz. Can you we'll do put it the again strawberry filter on for I, this bit? Um, right. So here, here after that interruption of that nonsense, it's for quiz. I'm, I, I, I read a number of different different rounds for Jay, so I'm going to give you one of them, which I've dedicated to the wonderful, late, great Michelle Rue Senior, mm. um, who sadly passed away last year, but. It's, it's a dedication to his source book, which I think is one of the greatest books. Oh, my God, you're not going to go French source on that, are you? <laughs> oh, how is quietly here. Oh, shit. Oh, yeah. and it's, called, it's called, in my fullest cheesy daytime quiz mode, name your source, exclamation. How the, how, how the mighty will fall. Here we go. Okay, here we go. And uh, so this is, this is five quick, quick, we'll, we'll rattle through this. Right, this is described by Michelle in his beautiful French accent. This lad, creamy classic, has inspired a host of other sources. I'm not going to do any more accents after that. And it contains, <laughs> from? Newcastle. <laughs> it contains the following ingredients. Light, creamy classic has inspired a host of other sources. His description, it has white wine vinegar, white peppercorns, egg yolk, clarified butter, salt, and lemon juice. What sauce? Can you say that again? Which one? White wine vinegar, yeah. white peppercorns. Yeah. Egg yolk, yeah. clarified butter, salt, and lemon juice. What sauce is that? Hollandaise. Oh. It is hollandaise. Look, he oh. said it with such disdain. It's hollandaise. <laughs> it's the confidence. Yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah, sorry, this is where we see the whites right. of chef's eyes. This is quite, so, quite fun, this. <laughs> next one. A classic accompaniment to fried and or grilled fish. It includes hard-boiled egg, oil, lemon juice, gherkin slash onions, mayonnaise, chives so again hard-boiled egg oil lemon juice gherkin slash onions mayonnaise chives um i know it's the one that we all ask for when we go for fish at tartar sauce God, see, look, this is the way. This is, look, he's showing his colours now, Jay. Come on, you've got is to get it. Is that tartar sauce? Is yeah. it? I, I had no clue on that one. I was all, very good, very good. Okay, here we go. Here we go. They're getting a bit tougher now, Jay. To be honest, so I okay. that, that was your that was your best bet, by the way. That one. Uh, <laughs> Can his ketchup not in there? There is one with ketchup in. So hold on. We'll okay, get great, great. A pecan yeah. sauce, especially good with cold fish, crustaceans, smoked trout, and hard-boiled eggs. Oddly enough, it contains freshly cooked hard-boiled eggs, <laughs> Dijon mustard, oil, white wine vinegar, small capers, cornichon, and herbs. Doesn't say which herbs. Um, it'll so either be... Uh, did it have eggs in it as well, that one? Yeah, it had freshly cooked hard-boiled eggs. Uh, ravigot sauce. No. Or, or, or it's kind of salsa verde ravigot, but it's... Um, Grabiche, oh, no. sauce Grabiche. Oh, he's got it, he's got it. Oh, oh. well, this is... Oh, uh, he was just toying with us, Jay. Oh. There yeah. we go. Right. 
Easy, well, come on, Jay. This is this is your best bet. Go on, just go. I'm for not it, getting any of these. I'm not a chef. I'm going to get rid of them. I eat it. A French classic. Everyone has their own version, says Michelle. But it contains Dijon mustard, white wine vinegar, and oil. Vinaigrette. Yes, it is a vinaigrette. Is that vinaigrette? All oh, right. I didn't even that. I didn't know that. Yeah. Last one. Okay. This is it. This is it. This one has ketchup in Jay. So this might be. I got this. Here. That was not interesting. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> An excellent accompaniment. This is Michelle's introduction to roast chicken. This lively sauce can also be used to coat a lightly poached fillet of salmon. It contains oil. Wine vinegar, tomato ketchup, Worcestershire sauce, Tabasco, shallots, chervil, chives, tarragon. I'll say it again. Oil. Sounds like a Bloody Mary to me. Wine vinegar, tomato ketchup, Worcestershire sauce, Tabasco, shallots, chervil, chives, and tarragon. Fucking, oh, sorry. Um, uh, <laughs> so it's, it's, well, it's not Marion Rose because there's no, it's a piquant sauce of some kind, mm. a dev- deviled, it's a kind of deviled yes. sauce. It's lively, says Michelle, it's lively. Deviled, it's lively. I, do, I don't know what that's called. Jay? Give me, give me a clue. I, yeah, I, I, I do, but I'm not going to say. Uh, <laughs> give me a clue, because I want to get five, I want Valentine to get five out of five on this. Set a bar for all future guests. Whoa, a clue. Well, I mean, it's clearly got an unusual name. It's got a, it's d- got a, d- a, 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 got a alliteration d- in its title. It's got a B. It's two Bs. B-B-Sauce. B-B-Sauce. Barbecue sauce, no. <laughs> oh, good guess, so. Yeah, I know, but it's not. But it's not. <laughs> it's not uh, that. Uh, Although it's not uh, dissimilar, I guess so, is it? Well, there's no molasses in it, and it's oh god, I don't know. Put me out of my misery. God. It is a bois boudrin sauce. I have never you heard of that in have my life. Have you never heard oh, of it? Oh, thank god, I thought it was just me. It's a rather no, lively no. sauce. <laughs> is it? Perfectly good on James is not allowed over. to do any more quizzes. I'll, I'll give you just... I'll give you lively sauce. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, all our listeners knew what they answered. All they were shouting them at their, at their uh, headphones. On the, on the, can you say what that's train. called? Can you say what that's called again? Can you Bois Boudran. Bois, Bois Boudran. Boudran. I'm going to look that up the minute. It's a great yeah. sauce. It's a great sauce. So I've had it. We, you know, I've used it many times in the past. It's very, very good. Very useful. Very peaceful. Lively. Very. Yes, it is lively. Wow, we talked about doing five rounds of this. Can you imagine that? I'm having a great for... time. <laughs> well, I've got what's my pie ready. don't seem so bad now, do they? What's my pies coming up in the next round? It's not, it's, <laughs> I think, you know, doing a food competition with dictators and you could find your, the question master could be dead in within a couple of minutes. <laughs> Absolutely. Precisely. We'll get Montezuma back. <laughs> well, he'd eat the host, right? I mean, they well, were yeah, cannibals, exactly. they, slightly. Ends nicely. Now to finish, I'm going to eat the heart of the host. Oh, oh. Right, on that <laughs> truly bizarre ending. Well, we, well, uh, we, hopefully the podcast ended 10 minutes ago. We, no yeah, one will even know. This we're going to make. <laughs> uh, Valentine, what a joy. Thank you, sir. We appreciate it. Thank you, you so much. And I really, really enjoyed it. I really, really, really enjoyed it. <laughs> Brilliantly inspiring as always. James, no more quizzes for you. Uh, <laughs> see you next week. See you next week. <laughs>